Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. So today I am absolutely delighted to have a special guest with us, and that special guest is my associate, Jen Davis. And the reason I wanted Jen to be a part of this podcast is because we haven't talked yet about self-compassion and mindful self-compassion on our podcast, and this is a passion of Jen's. So again, welcome, Jen, for being here. I'm just so glad you could be a part of our conversation today. Thank you. Me too. So basic question, how did your path to self-compassion begin? Um... I think, you know, I come from a family of very hard workers, very self-critical people, very supportive, but very, you know, I used to joke my grandma napped with her sneakers on. (laughs) So I learned to be critical of myself very early on. And I, I think I spent most of my life living with like a real tormentor in my head. And it was ultimately looking back my first my first experience with self-compassion was getting sober, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when I stopped making decisions that betrayed myself. And then maybe, I don't know when, 2017, 2018, um, sometime after my mom died, her best friend invited me to go to Sedona to spend a week with Kristen Neff and Chris Germer. Mm in a mindful self-compassion intensive. And I I knew a little about Kristen Neff and she ended up canceling at the last minute. And so I just, you know, went by myself. (laughs) And that really, really opened up my experience with mindful self-compassion and my practice of it, my more tangible, hands-on practice. Hmm. So I I love the word practice because it implies that it's something that is not just a one-time thing. It's something that is done regularly. And for our listening audience, not everybody understands the term self-compassion. So I'm wondering if we can just start with your definition or, or how you look at it. Sure. I mean, I think this happens a lot for me, you know, with clients is that I'll suggest self-compassion and they'll say to me, like, I have no idea what that is. I don't have any idea what you're talking about, you know? And to me, I think the best way that I ever understood it or that it makes the most sense to me is like, imagine being in a room that's, you know, as wide as your shoulders, what's that like, you know, one to two feet, depending, with someone who's screaming at you all day long for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Or imagine being in a room that big with someone who's being, supportive and kind and loving. And that essentially is self-compassion. It's treating yourself with loving kindness. Hmm. 
as you would a friend. You know, there was this, I just read this little story about this experiment someone did. Can't can't tell you who. Mm -hmm. But um, where they took women, wrote down all the things that they said to themselves, and then they made it into a script. And these two women went to a coffee shop and said those things to each other. Mm. And the woman next to them stood up and she was like this is completely inappropriate i can't believe you're speaking to each other like this you both need help i don't know what she said but you know, like, she got so activated by it so it's like you know that is the way we speak to ourselves and we would never say that i mean you know very rarely would we speak to our worst enemy that way so it's beginning to treat ourselves the way we would a loved one ultimately that we get to be loved ones to ourselves mm. do you have anything you want to add no i I, th- I think that's beautiful and and i think chris germer says it very succinctly the idea that how we would treat somebody who we love mm-hmm. is really how we translate how in essence we should treat ourselves and and yet it's a practice to to do that because oftentimes I, I think we we give more easily than we receive. Yes. And 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 which brings me to the next question and idea. So, why do you think that we're so hardwired to be tough on ourselves? I think about this a lot. I think I mean, first it's so weird. It's so weird that it's a it's a novel idea that we um are kind to ourselves, you know, because we have to spend our entire lives with ourselves. Um, I think, I mean, I want to go straight to survival instinct that like, you know, if a woolly mm-hmm. mammoth was coming, you couldn't be like savoring a rainbow, <laughs> you know, but I think partially it's cultural, but I think the other part that's like was really blew my mind about the, you know, the mindful self-compassion program that Chris and Kristen put together was this idea of self-attack is our mental fight, Mm -hmm. you know? So coming from trauma, which I guess you could argue, you could argue trauma in a billion different ways, that that is one of the ways as we've evolved that we go into fight mode. Mm. So say more about that idea of mental fight. That it's so much less tangible than you're running from a tiger. Seems pretty tangible. But when we get into fight, flight, freeze, this idea that instead of actually, we don't know what to fight. It's like, you know, trauma gets stored in our own bodies. Mm-hmm. So we become our enemies, you know, we treat our bodies like they're, you know, landmines everywhere. And so I think in that, we also begin to attack ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that self-attack is, is really a very primitive instinct, but it's also a very, very painful, sometimes excruciating instinct. Yes. I mean, because the idea of you know, going through an excru- excruciating trauma, mm-hmm. and then, I mean, this is the heartbreaking part, is that we don't you know, we're not even really taught. And obviously it's a process and you can't 
you know, you can't send in too much self-compassion instantly, but we're not taught to be gentle and hold that trauma. So we're constantly re-traumatizing ourselves with self-criticism and self-attack. Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's say someone practices self-compassion. They make a decision that they're tired of beating up on themselves. They're, they're ready to be kinder to themselves. So mm-hmm. let's say they start practicing self-compassion. What are the benefits that they can expect getting from that practice? Well, I mean, I think like anything like meditation, you know, the, the program that, that Chris and Kristen put together is really practical, you know, so it's like three components. It's like noticing this is a moment of suffering, acknowledging that other people in the world have had this experience, and then, you know, practicing kindness toward the self. Mm. I think that, you know, my experience for myself, because I'm always my own guinea pig, you know, was that little, honestly, little by little, my nervous system started to calm down. Hmm. And I was really able to face my feelings more. They became, they became a little bit less scary because I knew that I had an ally in myself. Hmm. It's like, to me, it's really helpful imagining yourself as a child also Mm -hmm. because you know if a child came to you wounded I mean obviously we all have our moments and obviously this is not everyone's response but and then you started screaming at that child and why did you do this how come you did this this is stupid you shouldn't be having this feeling I mean obviously this happens Mm -hmm. right but but instead to look at them and say oh I'm so sorry you know what's happening Mm -hmm. what is it that you need when I started treating myself like that, I actually was able to face emotions in myself that I had been very afraid to face. The benefits, I don't know if those, those are, I mean, that was a huge, those are huge benefits, but there's smaller ones too, I'd imagine. Right. But, but I hear that there was something that you were able to experience within yourself that was kinder, gentler, more understanding, more loving, actually. Yeah. I mean, I had this moment. Obviously, this is not my my everyday go-to. I'm very, I'm a person who's very hard on themselves, and mm-hmm. I drive myself very hard. But again, practice, right? It's like, it's practice for me. Um, maybe sometime last year, I think I was at a sound bath, and mm. I heard this little voice that was like, I'm so happy I get to spend the rest of my life with you. And to me, that was, that was because of self-compassion practice. Hmm. You know, it's like, I, I get to be someone I enjoy being with sometimes mm-hmm. more often than not. Actually. Sure. So I was thinking of two things as you're sharing that the first part really is a piece of inner child work where you're developing a conversation with the little kid inside and hopefully basically saying, you know, I've got your back, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that no matter what happens here, I'm not going to be mean to you. I'm not going to abuse you. I'm not going to self-deprecate you. I'm going to 
be with you and and we are allies together ultimately so yeah exactly yeah and and then the other thing i heard has to do with neuroplasticity which is as we know jen the idea of the wiring inside of us gets you know there's grooves that are that are carved out based on how we treat ourselves and Mm -hmm. and by slowly beginning to have a different dialogue with oneself that's establishing new grooves new neural pathways right Uh uh so there's something about the practice that you're describing that sounds really powerful because ultimately it's like you said teaching oneself that that we can be allies we don't have to be adversaries yeah and i think the practice i mean that part it's like it's so simple the practice it's not easy but it's so simple you know it's noticing like even that like oh this is a moment of suffering and so many people say to me but that's not really suffering right like i'm not starving i'm not the list goes on but it doesn't matter, right? For me, this is a moment of suffering. And like, this is my, one of my favorite things I ever learned that, you know, when I put my hands on my body, my brain, you know, my, my neocortex knows it's my hands and it probably has a lot of judgment and ideas about it, but my nervous system doesn't, my nervous system just feels comfort. Mm. So I have people start, a lot of people really don't like to start with the heart. I like, I don't, I love, you know, putting my hands on my heart. I find it just incredibly grounding, but it's too activating for a lot of people. So it's really like, is it, does it feel nice to rub your, you know, the inside of your arm is really nice or your shoulder or like your knee, you know, it's starting with that soothing touch. Mm. It makes a huge difference. That one, like, you know, oh, sweetie, with a soothing touch, sweetie is you know debatable but (laughs) you know whatever floats your boat right exactly whatever (laughs) language works for you (laughs) totally totally but I love that you pointed out I mean I do think to me self-compassion is is has been what has been able to do a lot of healing around my inner child right for sure so that she knows that she is actually safe right Right. And especially, like you said, when we're talking about experiences as kids that were very unsafe, maybe even dangerous, mm-hmm. and to be able to remind that part of us that we are safe, that we're not in danger, there's not a threat in the environment, I'm right here, it, it, it's a very regulating kind of reminder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you and go... the healing. Oh, sorry. No, no, go but please. A, you know, a healing of, of trauma, right? That suddenly this idea of your agency being taken from you, or, you know, as a child, you haven't even, you don't have any agency, but that it is a reclaiming of your own agency as well to be able to calm your nervous system in that way, which is such a healing factor in trauma. Absolutely. And, and what I was wondering if we could circle back because you were starting to talk about simple self-compassion practices like putting your hand on a part of your body um, acknowledging that this is a suffer this is a moment of suffering um, 
I know that that there's you mentioned before there's three things that that uh, the mindful self compassion teachers talk about. There, the first is acknowledge the suffering. Is that mm-hmm. is that right? Mm-hmm. And then what what is the second one? A common humanity. You know that that. Um, we, you know, when you whittle it down to core beliefs, right? I'm unlovable, I'm bad, that there's really only like 10 or 12 ultimately. And everybody has some sort of core belief and there's billions of humans. And so this idea that, oh, I'm the only one who's bad, right? There's this whole, whole city, whole world, and I'm the one that's bad in it it's actually acknowledging, right? Like, oh, I'm suffering and others have suffered. Mm. So common, I mean, 12 step is really miraculous at this, Mm -hmm. right? Like in common suffering, Mm -hmm. common humanity, like you are not alone. You are not the only person, you know, who has lied, who has treated themselves badly, who has felt Mm -hmm. shame, guilt. Mm -hmm. So it breaks the isolation. And the, and the idea yeah. that, that I'm terminally unique. Yeah. I love that thing about the core beliefs. Yeah. Because it really is like very practical. You're like, oh, right. There's so many of us and yet only 10 or 12 of these. 20 if you're pushing it, mm-hmm. right? And we all have one. So there must be a lot of other people who think mm-hmm. that. So there's the common humanity, number two. Number three is what? Kindness. You know, treating yourself, like you said, Chris Cromer said, as you would treat someone you love. Yeah. So so in a sense, that's, I don't know if I want to call it the action step, but it has a little more um, movement to it. Yeah. I, th- I think that one and three, you know, acknowledging this is a moment uh-huh. of suffering, I would consider as an action sure. step as well. Um, because it's also the and it also involves the remembering, right? Right, the remembering to do it. But yes, three would be the action step, and it's not a complicated action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And by the way, I once heard him say that it doesn't have to be the acknowledgement of suffering; it can also be the acknowledgement of stress, so something stressful mm-hmm. in your life today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And, and are there any other simple practices that you wanted to mention? I think ultimately it comes down to how, how we speak to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of clients say to me like, well, I can't tell myself I love myself because it's a lie. Right. And so it has a fake it until you make it kind of quality mm-hmm. to it. Um, and obviously, you know, we'll find something that feels like they can say that to themselves. But, but really, it's like, it's so simple. You know, it's so simple. It's like that act of also like, it's okay. You know, I always say like, I'm pretty comfortable with it. So, you know, I'll say like, oh, I know you're scared, Jenny, but you're doing a really good job. Like, mm-hmm. I love you. It's I speak to myself as I would a child, basically, mm-hmm. in my finer moments. <laughs> um, so I think it's pretty simple. I mean, there are medita- there's tons of meditations that Chris and Kristen have. Mm-hmm. There's also, I mean, this isn't new, you know. There's tons of, like, meta meditations, and Jack Cornfield is, 
incredible talking about the heart, I think. Um, but affectionate breathing, you know, it's really, I love the affectionate breathing meditation that Chris and Kristen both do, you know, mm. just looking, you know, focusing on your breath the way you would watch a puppy or a baby, you mm-hmm. know, with the sort of awe, savoring our own our own breathing. Right. But that's like getting down there. That's like, you don't start there. <laughs> right. That's savoring more. Savoring your own breathing. Exactly. <laughs> that's more and also ad- noticing <laughs> sorry go on no, i was gonna say that's like uh, more advanced uh one, totally. one, once you've established a familiarity and and ease with the idea of self-compassion then moving into those deeper more expansive uh possibilities totally and and also you know i, I should say it's like actually the first step is like realizing how mean we are to ourselves mm. To me, it's sort of this insidious process of of the more, you know, I love my favorite, and I'm going to botch this, I think, but my favorite Chris Germer quote is, um, when we are loved, the areas in which we were unloved is exposed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you have a way of saying it as well that's different. That I can't think of right now. Can you think of what I'm talking about? At this moment, probably not. Okay. <laughs> but Can but you I read think my mind. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but noticing, right? Like we don't even notice. It's so internal. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so our own voice. It doesn't feel it's like, do you remember that movie um when a stranger calls? That incredibly scary horror movie from the eighties? I, I didn't but, see it, but it sounds pretty terrifying just by the name terrifying. of it alone. It's terrifying. But <laughs> there's this scene, you know, it's like rotary phones and this scene. I'm going to give away the ending of the movie. But, um, you know, she's on the phone with the operator and they say, like, you know, ma'am, get out of the house. The call is coming from inside the house. Mm. And to me, you know, that's being human. Mm-hmm. It's like we're just these, these, we're so mean to ourselves. And so the first step is actually seeing that. Like, right. oh, I actually just got my feelings hurt. And now I'm, you know, yelling at myself about whatever. Like, oh, I wore this bracelet. Who wears this bracelet? You're going to end up alone. Like, because you're fat. It's probably because you're ugly. Like, the whole thing is, is out of control, actually. So maybe there's an initial practice that you were sharing with, with, with all of us, which is that it's, it's often about building awareness of the mean, unkind things we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and once we reveal them, once we are able to bring them into the light and give them a little oxygen, then we can move towards, huh, how are we going to work with this? One, now that we have, we're noticing this each and every time it happens, which, as I'm saying that, sounds like it could actually be more painful before it becomes less painful. That sure. it, initially it's, it's really difficult to notice how incessantly uh, self-attacking we can be. Mm-hmm. I was and also, we don't... Go ahead. I was just going to say, we don't believe that there is a way out of that. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, so whether it's a meditation teacher or a meditation group or a therapist or anybody who can walk someone through this, it's, it's best or maybe it's ideal not to have to do this alone. Is that, is that right? I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking in 12 step also, I was thinking about the acceptance prayer and if somebody's not ready to use the L word and talk about self-love, maybe they they would be more comfortable with the ideal uh, or the idea, not the ideal, the idea of accepting oneself more and more for exactly who we are at any given moment. Does that feel like a, a baby step towards some self-compassion? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a baby step and also the goal. Mm. You know, I think, you know, I, I'm really excited in a way that, you know, self-care, self-love, like all of this stuff is like thrown around and like, you know, like on t-shirts all the time. That's why I thought that slogan was funny, right? Because it's everywhere, actually. It's like, and it's sort of aggressive how how many times we see it and I don't think we always know what it means you know but I think we also have this sort of mm, like I don't know the right word it's like we have this idea of it that it's sort of woo woo and not practical mm -hmm. right and I think I, I think I told you this but I was so excited you know I was reading um, Phil Jackson's book about the winning winning championships with the Chicago Bulls and the LA Lakers and he was an incredible coach but you know talks so much about compassion as this as this avenue to winning you know and like I don't think that anybody thinks that the you know Chicago Bulls or the LA Lakers were like woo-woo and not practical and like oh self-love and you know what does this mean it's really like you know, how do we hold ourselves with care so that we can get in the game? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I imagine that when you talk about holding ourselves so we can get in the game, it's almost impossible to really f have a fully fulfilling life, a fully fulfilling life, um, unless we are more compassionate with ourselves. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I think it is. is I it, think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking energetically, it would be such a barrier in so many ways. To not be, to be not compassionate with yourself? Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, think about how scary life is, how scary it is to, I mean, I find it incredibly scary, right, to, to go after your goals to actually have some sort of hope or idea for yourself and then have to go into the world and make it happen like that's an incredibly scary thing mm -hmm. and so i think in the effectiveness of it it's like i think kristin has this term fierce compassion which i really love it's mm -hmm. like it's not like well sweetie that's really scary you don't have to do that because it's scary because then you're not you're not becoming self-actualized, you know, it's, it's, yeah, that's really scary. It's really scary. What do you need so that you can show up for your life? Um, and also if you're telling yourself, you know, if you're going on a job interview, 
just such a weird example, but if you are, and you know, you're saying to yourself the whole way there, like, I'm never going to get this job, on and on. And then when you get there, you can't even be engaged with it because you're so worried about how terrible you are. They might notice you're terrible. You're not qualified. Um, that really, it, it enables us, I think, to be more courageous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I, you know, I gush about it because I, I really think that it, it is, for me, it's been the thing that has changed my relationship with myself and therefore my world. And I've just watched it change so many people's lives at work, you know, with my clients that they, they go from not everyone, you know, but really doubting themselves to really believing that they can maybe have the life that they want. That's huge. So along those lines, for those who are in addiction recovery, one way I uh-huh. I view recovery is that it's it's really about expanding one's world, both externally mm-hmm. and internally. And mm-hmm. and when I think a lot of folks off step come into the rooms or come into their recovery or healing process very constricted and and very narrow in mm-hmm. terms of how they feel about themselves because they've been beaten down for various reasons. And so I'm wondering if you can just mm-hmm. comment on on that idea of expansion and how self-compassion might help those in addiction recovery. Well, you know, I think like in my experience or, you know, it says the moment you go into 12 steps is an act of compassion for yourself. Right. And it might not, you might go in, you might get it out, you might, you know, gather days, you might lose them. However it goes, the process of being engaged in that is compassion. I mean, I also think, you know, 12 steps are inherently designed in a lot of ways to free of shame, to find the common humanity. And so I think it is, it is adding this element of kindness that doesn't always exist in 12 steps. I think it it does often, you know, there's that sort of slogan of, Mm -hmm. but in the kindness to others and the kindness to ourself, I think, and I really big fan of doing the steps. I think if you're going to go, you might as well do them. That that, that is the foundation. And it's also this thing, right? It's like, for me, you know, every day that I don't have a drink, I'm not betraying myself. You know, if you're stuck in that cycle of self-betrayal, you're so mad at yourself all the time. It's sort of possible to ever get to a, a groundwork of any kind of kind. To me, it makes absolute sense. And another slogan I'll throw in is progress, not perfection. Because it feels like what we're talking about today with, with mindful self-compassion is, is really an imperfect process. We, none of us can practice it perfectly. And none of us can practice it every single day of our lives. It's more of an awareness that hopefully we carry and that it grows and that Mm-mm. every single one of us can benefit from being more attentive to the little kid inside that sometimes gets scared or sometimes gets tantrumy or or whatever is going on internally, emotionally, uh, that there's opportunity to really learn about ourselves and to know that there's ways to walk through life in in a a kinder, more 
compassionate, more, um, more loving. There's the L word again for loving way. I, I want to just end on this idea of self-love because I know that a lot of bristle to the idea mm -hmm. of love. They're just not ready to apply it to themselves. And, and so I just wanted to check in with you about mm -hmm. kind of how to work with that, but, but what the heck is self-love really? Yeah. Well, I guess it's acting on our own behalf, right? That treating ourselves as our ally, but people hate that term. Seems like we should just inherently love ourselves. Because, like, you know, we're the ones we spend our entire lives with. But I also think it's really important to add, if you can't love yourself, how are you ever going to be of service to the world that needs our help so badly, you know, and needs our care and needs our love? So to me, the, you know, the act of self Passion ultimately is about how do I love myself enough to meet my needs, right? So that I am running effectively enough so that I can be of service to others and, and the world. And that's how that's how I don't have a hard time with self-love. It seems really practical to me. Um, but you know, you go on and on about just the word love on its own, what that means to everybody differently. I always say, what would common sense do? <laughs> what would common sense do? What emanates from within us is really what we're able to give the relationships in our life, um, our communities, our, um, the world at large, not to sound too grand, but, but I, I, I think what you just said is, is very, very powerful because if we really put this self-compassion in whatever shape or form that comes, it, it can really emanate in, I, I think of it in eccentric circles, right? We, we, we throw the pebble into the small pond, or the, the still pond, and, and then the concentric circles grow from there. And that really where self-compassion um, can be not only a very powerful practice, but one that, that truly affects the world in ways that we don't even see visibly, but just happen automatically. Yeah. So it's an act of faith, you know, it's an act of faith that when you're, you know, kind to the person who's checking out of the grocery store, that, you know, maybe they'll be kind to the next person and on and on and on. Right, but it can go in either direction, right? And we know totally. we, li we live in a divisive world right now. And so all we can do, again, is to really focus internally on what we're able to begin in terms of um, getting the ball rolling and and I, I just can't thank you enough, uh, Jen, for, for joining us today on the podcast. I, I'm wanting to have this conversation for a while. And mm -hmm. even though we've been working together for a few years now, we've never had a chance to talk at length about compassion. No, I know. It's very exciting. It is. It truly is. So thank you so much for being here. Ugh, thank you. Thank you for listening today. It was such a treat to have my friend, colleague, and associate, Jen Davis, discussing this really significant topic of self-compassion that affects all of us in the field of out-of-control sexual behavior. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if there are any topics you would like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts. And thanks again for being with us today.